Chapter Seventeen of Countdown by Kurt Becker, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Nine. The next morning, Ned sneaked into his room after mass and picked up his books, peeking into the living room just long enough to see the note still on the floor where he had placed it. He went to school, where he bought a cup of coffee and a couple of buns in the cafeteria, and went hurriedly into Mike's math class, feeling tense and nervous. No matter how hard he tried, his mind kept wandering. In the back of the room he could hear Robson Kingsley moving restlessly about and occasionally making soft snickering sounds that sickened him. He felt trapped. He knew that there would be a next time and that he might not be fortunate enough to get away again. He was aware that since Owen had joined the Sons of the Vigilantes his dislike for Ned had become quite marked. And now, with the Kingsleys at Owen's side to fan up his resentment, Ned knew that Owen's dislike for him had crystallized into a burning hatred a dreadful, venomous hunger for vengeance over the wrong he was convinced Ned had done him. The previous evening Ned had seen how skillfully and how easily the Kingsleys had managed to convince Owen that Ned was to blame for the bitter quarrel with Deborah, and the memory of their insane cruelty in Atlanta made him almost sick with anxiety. They were stalking him, as they would an animal. Robson's snickers had a note of gleeful anticipation, as if he were absolutely sure that no matter how Ned turned and twisted they would eventually get him, and then— Mike was talking about vectors, and illustrating his point by examples, taken from a billiard carom, two balls coming from different directions, hitting a third ball which moved in a third direction. He tried to follow, but his imagination got in the way, spread-eagled on a pool table. There was a dreadful finality about the phrase, a sort of stark description of utter helplessness. It was chilling to think of someone deliberately made unable to lift a finger in his own defense. It was nauseating to visualize a man tied down that way, and deliberately made to suffer. Ned shook his head to drive away the mental picture of it, and tried to concentrate on what Mike was saying, but again the small sounds of Robson Kingsley were loud enough to drown out Mike's strong voice. What kind of mind, he wondered, could deliberately plan to spread eagle a man and torture him? They're insane. Baldwin's earnest voice came back into his mind, dangerously insane. For a moment he visualized Robson, a gloating look on his handsome face, licking his lips with excitement as he watched a man writhe and squirm helplessly before him. Ned had seen a similar expression of satisfaction on young Kingsley's face the day Robson had knocked Walter Drew down in the gym. And now Robson was in the back of the room, looking at him, he was certain, with the same gloating expression on his face. They're insane. The memory of Baldwin's words sent a cold, sickening chill up his back. He was afraid. He was terribly afraid. With an effort he forced himself to think. He had to think, he realized, coolly and logically, otherwise he would never find a way out. Mike's voice droned on, unheard, and slowly, carefully, Ned laid his plans. Deborah was not home at lunchtime. At least the phone rang and rang without her answering. That meant that he could take no chances going home. With Deborah around, it was not likely that Owen or the Kingsleys would do anything. They had to catch him alone. He forced himself to swallow a tasteless sandwich and a glass of milk. He couldn't afford not to eat. "'Would you mind if I spent the night with you?' Ned asked Mike, who looked astonished at the request. "'Debbie is away somewhere, and I don't want to be alone with my uncle. He—he he keeps arguing all the time, and I can't get any work done.' It sounded thin and implausible. "'Please, Mike,' he said desperately, and then added with an enormous effort, "'I'm afraid of him.' Mike looked at him steadily for a long moment, his face expressionless. 
Then he reached out an affectionate hand and mussed Ned's hair with a gruff friendliness. "'Why, you poor kid,' he said, "'you're terrified. Sure, you can come in with me. Only I warn you, you won't be comfortable, and you'll have to put in a few hours of work in the library tonight. I promised Amanda I'd help her catalogue some new books.' "'That's swell, Mike,' Ned said with heartfelt relief. "'Thanks.' "'Want to talk about it, kid?' "'Not here,' Ned said. "'Okay, get into a pair of trunks and let's rustle.' With a light heart, Ned walked into the locker room to change. Robson Kingsley was there, carefully folding a pair of shorts before putting them in his locker. Ned caught his breath, then pulled himself together and went in. Robson alone was not the problem. It was in combination with his father and Owen that he was to be dreaded. "'You hanging around long?' Robson asked softly, his tongue running quickly over his parted lips. "'Not long,' Ned said in what he hoped was a light tone. "'Why?' "'Just asking.' Robson shrugged elaborately and stretched. "'Guess I'll swim.' He started toward the door of the pool. "'Take it easy,' Ned called after him, "'and don't wait for me. I'm going out with the coach.' Robson shrugged again and disappeared on his way to the pool. Thoughtfully, Ned put on his shorts and gym shoes and went to look for Mike.' He was safe, for the moment. Tomorrow would be another day. Maybe, he thought with sudden eagerness, he could go over to the Baldwins. Steve would be a comforting sight. He grinned, suddenly remembered the scene in the big pleasant room where Andy had wrestled with the big man. The room, he realized, had been warm with love, filled with the rich laughter of affection. Mr. Baldwin's smile as he watched his son stand abashed on tottering legs had held no mockery and his huge explosion of laughter at Andy's exit line had been, actually, a shout of triumphant glee at his son's quickness of mind. Carefully Ned laced his shoes and turned his mind to the immediate present. He had to practice wrestling with Mike. It would be a rough session, but it would have about it the healthy atmosphere of Baldwin's room and none of the sickening horror of Atlanta. End of chapter 17